But I'll start with a question. Um, uh, I think it's a question that's appropriate because we've done a baptism this morning. Uh, and it's to do with um, when we're thinking about bringing children up. And in the baptism, parents and godparents, you make promises about bringing your children up to help them to, to know about Jesus, to learn about Jesus and trust in him. But actually, as we think about bringing our children up, I hope we're thinking, what, what's the best way of doing it? What sort of things should we be encouraging them about? What sort of things should we be doing with them? And in particular, I want to ask this question this morning. Who do you encourage your children to trust and who to ignore? Who do you encourage your children to trust and who to ignore? It's, it's a big question to think about. Who, who do we want to influence our children? Who do we want to be role models for them? And who actually would we rather, not that they don't care for or look after, but rather they didn't really follow, didn't, didn't really copy, didn't really listen to their weird ideas? Or who do we protect them from, maybe? Those are big questions, aren't they? Actually, we think about bringing up our children. We want to encourage them to think about who it is they should really listen to, really respect. And actually, the reason I ask that question is when we come to this, um, the end of this letter that Paul is writing, and it's a letter that Paul was writing from a place called Corinth, which was um, in, now in modern-day Greece, to, um, to Rome, which was the capital, as you probably know, the Roman Empire at the time. He's writing um, from the midst of one Christian community in Corinth to the midst of another Christian community that he's never met, but as many people there, as we will see, that he, he knew of, who had been working in Corinth or other places he had been and now moved back to Rome. Um, so he's writing to a church where he's got some contacts, but he hasn't actually been. And he's written a very long letter explaining in great detail and depth the message about Jesus Christ. But now as he comes to the end of the letter, he has all these greetings. Uh, and for us, they're always these names that are hard to pronounce and... Um, not the sort of names that we have today. I don't think I've ever baptised anyone called Priscilla. Although there's a few people with that name. Certainly no one called um, Eponetus or Andronicus. Um, may, anyone come across anyone called Andronicus? No, no. Oh, Vanessa has. Okay, right. Um, so they, they aren't, aren't very common names today, are they? Uh, and yet these were real people that were living in the first century AD in Rome. Um, Christianity is a historic faith comes from real historic facts based on real people. Uh, and this was written about 25 years after Jesus um, walked the earth, died and rose again. It was written about the late 50s AD by people that would have uh, met those that knew Jesus, that met those that saw Jesus risen from the dead. And as we read this, we think, well, is that any relevance to us because these people are long dead? Why worry about the greetings to them? Well, actually, I think as Paul is giving these greetings... He's actually trying to set the culture within the church. Because as he gives the greetings, as he commends people, he's telling us something about what to value in other people. He's telling us about something about the sort of people that we should be respecting. The sort of people we should be listening to. And he also, as we'll see, goes on um, in verses 17 to 20 to warn about the sort of people we shouldn't listen to and the sort of people we should ignore, before finally bringing us back to God uh, in the last little bit. So, we're going to start off by looking at, first of all, the people he praises, the people to respect. Uh, and it's a long list, there's 26 different names, I'm not going to talk in any detail about all, any of them, um, but I might mention a few in some, some of the details. So Phoebe's the first one, um, she's actually someone with Paul in Corinth, possibly she was travelling with the letter to Rome, because he writes a commendation for her. Uh, and this woman, who's probably a, a wealthy woman, 
um, probably someone who was very hospitable to, to Christians that were staying, and possibly to Paul and others, um, lived in a place, Sencria, which is not very far away from Corinth. Um, and Paul says about her, she's a servant. She's someone that helps people and has helped Paul. This is someone to respect, someone to commend, and someone who wants a church in Rome to help. And he talks about Priscilla and Aquila. Um, we know a little bit about them from this, the book of Acts and some of other, Paul's other writings. And he says about them, they're fellow workers of his. They, they've worked alongside him, they've helped him as Paul sought to tell people the good news about Jesus Christ. Um, but he says about them as well, they risk their lives for me. Now we don't know exactly what happened there, but we know that when Paul and Priscilla and Aquila were in Ephesus, there was a big riot at one point in the city. Um, people were fed up with Paul preaching about Jesus because it meant they were turning away from the other religions and the silversmiths that made little statues of the god goddess. Um, come on, which one now that one of the goddesses? Um, were getting upset because their trade was going down because people weren't interested in statues of goddesses anymore. They were following Jesus. And so there's a big riot in the city and people were baying basically for Paul's blood. And it may have been during that time that Priscilla and Aquila were able to use their influence in a very risky way to help protect Paul and bring him to safety out of that situation. Um, we're also told about um, Mary, it says, who worked very hard for you. We're told um, a bit later on about um, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Apparently those, those names, um, Tryphena, um, means delicate. Uh, but Paul says about this delicate one, this lady, they're women who worked hard or laboured in the Lord. And sort of this, this image of a, of a delicate person doing hard labour, sort of maybe possibly meant to be a sort of a humorous image. But again, he's saying these people worked really hard for the church. And he talks about Rufus's mother as well, who was a mother to him also. Obviously, in some ways, she cared for and looked after him. So as we go through this, what is Paul commending here? What are the sort of things Paul is saying are good about these people? Is it the fact that they're fantastically good-looking? No, he doesn't say anything about their looks. Is it they're fantastically talented and able? He doesn't say anything about that either. Now, what he's commending is that these people were willing to work hard for others and for Jesus. They're willing to risk their lives for others and for Jesus. What was great about these people was that they were true servants of other people and of Christ. And you see what Paul's doing here as he greets these people. He's saying, look, the things you should really respect, the things that are really great in people, are the fact they're willing to serve other people. And of course, that's what Jesus says, isn't it? If you go back to Mark's Gospel, um, Jesus there tells his disciples, he's actually telling them off, as he often was, but he says this to them, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, that's Jesus' name for himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus' death on the cross was the ultimate act of service. He gave his life that we might live. He gave his life and took our punishments so that we can be forgiven. And, and as Christians, if that is our ultimate act of salvation through Jesus, then 
the thing we look for that's great in other people is not talents, it's not good looks, but it's a willingness to serve others. And that's what Paul's doing here as he commends other people. And so as we think about our children growing up and we think about ourselves as well, who should we respect? We, we live in a world actually where the media focuses on people who are good looking because they're nicer to look at when you watch TV. It focuses on people that are talented because they're great singers or great sportsmen. Those are the people that have limelight. Those are the people that seem to be valued by our society. Those are the people that we're asked to listen to again and again. But being talented and being good looking does not necessarily mean they're the sort of person we should want to listen to, or the sort of person we should want to follow. What do we want for our children? What do we want for ourselves? To learn from those who have learned to serve, or just to listen to the good-looking and talented people? And actually, when you think about it, today's society, there's real worries, isn't there, about the mental health of young people. And if, if what our society values is talent and good looks, and as a teenager growing up, you think, actually, I don't feel very talented. I don't feel that good-looking. Am I going to be valued by society? Then you're going to lose self-esteem. You're going to feel depressed in life. But if what society values is what Christ values, and that's service of others and service of God's, then that's in reach of anyone, isn't it? It can be done on a very small level or a big level. But it makes a big difference and actually arguably does more good for the world than someone just being good looking or talented in some way. Who are we to respect? Who do we want our children to respect? Paul says respect those that serve. Respect those that care for others. And he says as well, ignore certain other people. Um, and this is in verses 17 to 20. It's not something that um, Mike read because we're trying to cut down the passage a bit. But he talks about people to ignore. Um, and in verse 17 he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you've learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. Um, actually, in the, in the original Greek, it says their own stomachs. <laughs> okay. Um, what does it mean they're serving their own stomachs? Um, Probably doesn't mean that they're just going out um, and always looking for a, a big buffet or a big meal. What it means is maybe these people are coming and they're, they're setting themselves up as great preachers, but what they're really looking for is to get something for themselves. And it could be that in setting themselves up as great preachers, they're hoping that they can, they can get lots of giving to them and money for them. You might think about televangelists in America that set themselves up as a, as a great preacher and say, send me all your money and you'll get rich. That sort of distorted Christian message is actually about them having stuff for themselves. Or maybe a more subtle level, actually, what they want is people to follow them rather than anyone else. As they come with their own slightly clever or distorted idea of the Christian message and say, look, this is a better way of thinking about it. Follow my ideas. And actually what they're trying to do is draw people after themselves so that they have a crowd, they have a gang to follow them. And such people, Paul says, their teaching was poisonous. It could ruin people's faith because it was distorting the faith. It was distorting the message of Jesus Christ. Their teaching was divisive because in drawing people after one person rather than someone else, it was breaking the church up and destroying the unity that, as we've read through Romans, Paul is so passionate about. 
And ultimately, Paul says their teaching was selfish. It was not about serving others or serving God, but it was self-serving. Somehow using it to get something for their own ends. And Paul says, ignore such people. And don't we as Christians want to also ignore such people? Those that might have fine-sounding arguments and great ideas, it seems, at first. Those that might promise something that the Christian faith doesn't seem to promise. And yet will draw us away from God, draw us away from others. Even possibly help us to lose our faith. We need to value those that do serve others, but watch out for those that are just about serving themselves. So Paul moves on after all his greetings, praising these different, the people particularly that are good at serving others, to talk about, finally, in the last few verses, um, God himself. And um, the, the big word for this last section is called a doxology. And a doxology basically means um, a, a sort of little hymn that glorifies God. Uh, and it's, you try and read it, it's quite complicated language. It's sort of, it's quite hard to get to, get to grips with and to understand at the first go. But actually there's some depth in here that's trying to draw together some of the great themes that have run throughout the book of Romans. And what Paul's trying to say is that, yes, respect people that serve others and serve Christ. But actually, remember, my message is ultimately about what God has done for us in serving us. It's the message of good news. And if you want to find life, if you want to find hope, if you want to find the best way to live, if you want to find true wisdom in life, then come to the only wise God, the God of Jesus Christ. And so Paul sums up by talking about the message of the gospel, the message of the good news he's preached and he's spoken about throughout Romans. And it's three things I think he's trying to say here in drawing things together. First of all, he's saying that this is a gospel about Jesus Christ. It's a gospel about Jesus Christ. Uh, the good news is not about a clever idea. The good news is not about some super spiritual, weird and vague thing. The good news is about a historic person that lived and walked this earth and yet was God's son. And remember Paul is writing just 25 years or so after Jesus. Paul and probably the people that he's writing to and the people he's with as he's writing this would have known and met many of the people that would have seen, heard Jesus teach, would have seen him crucified and would have seen him rise again. This is not a message that comes out of nowhere. It's not a made-up idea. Not a made-up story, as many people think. This is, a this is a message based on historic facts. It's about a historic person, Jesus Christ. A person who talked in amazing ways and wowed the crowds in what he said. A person who turned ideas upside down, saying it's not about greatness, it's not about serving, others, serving yourself, but serving others. And the message he fulfilled by going to the cross himself. By dying on the cross that we could be forgiven for our sins. By condemning what is bad in the world. And in offering a way for us to be forgiven for what's bad in us. And then rising again from the dead. Proving that his death was a real, did achieve something real. Proving that he could defeat death itself. And proving that we can have hope, if we follow him, of eternal life. This is a message about Jesus Christ, a message that says, 
if you want to know all of that for yourself, if you want to know forgiveness, if you want to have a relationship with God that makes you a child of God, if you want to have eternal life, then the only way is to trust in Jesus Christ. That's great news. But as we said about the children earlier on in baptism, you need to believe it. You need to trust in it. And it's a good news message that is actually not something that was newfangled for Paul. Not something that just suddenly appeared out of nowhere, but one that was rooted in the teachings of scriptures for him. The Old Testament teachings, the Jewish, Jewish teachings that have been around for hundreds of years. And actually as you go through Romans, Paul again and again quotes from the Old Testament. He's trying to say, look, this, this is rooted in Judaism. It's not a rejection of Jews. It's not a rejection of what God has been doing with the Jewish people for thousands of years. It's the fulfillment, the culmination of all of that. And so this is good news, first of all, for Jewish people. Because Jesus is their Messiah. And Jesus fulfills their scriptures. And Paul is trying to say to the church in Rome, respect those that are Jewish Christians among them. Don't reject them. And many of the people he's spoken about were Jews themselves. But secondly, Paul says, this is now a good news that is for everyone. It's good news for the obedience of the Gentiles. And by Gentiles, it means the nations that aren't Jews. This is a message about Jesus Christ that goes out to the whole world. And actually today, 2,000 years later, that's more true than it's ever been. Today, there are Christians in South Korea and Christians in Nigeria. There are Christians in China and there are Christians in Australia. In very different cultures, in very different places, the message of Jesus Christ is accepted and believed and transforms people's lives. This is a message for the whole world. And that's been proved again and again as it's gone from culture to culture, place to place, people to people. Is it a message that you believe in? Is God the God that you trust? Is God the God that you will follow and put your hope in and commit your life to? And will you follow people that seek to live like him, not in serving themselves, but serving others? Let's pray.